Well, there's a saying that a cluttered desk is a cluttered mind. And I wondered, it's not mine, by the way. I wondered about kitchens and cluttered cars and cluttered garages and cluttered closets. None of those are mine, but I just want to clarify, none of those are pictures of my own spaces. Um, But I wonder if we are rushing to fill our closets and our garages and our schedules, and we're actually just rushing to fill our souls. Pastor Eugene Peterson once said, to be unbusy, you have to be disengaged from egos, both yourself and others, and start dealing with souls. Souls cannot be hurried. Souls cannot be hurried. And busyness crushes our souls because we are feeding our egos by cramming our closets and our calendars and our lives full to the brim. We're preaching through this series because we want you to experience freedom from the busyness, freedom from the busyness that keeps you chasing more and more and more. You are free to seek what matters most because Jesus sets you free from reliance upon accumulation and accomplishment. Jesus is our freedom and therefore our souls can find rest from busyness. And we wanna give you practices to live into that rest that only Christ can bring away from the busyness. Last week, we talked about a practice of solitude. Solitude, uh, that solitude is a practice to turn down the noise to turn down the noise that busyness creates in our lives. And I hope you practiced it. I would love to hear if you grab me out in the great room after and tell me how you practice solitude or didn't practice solitude. That's okay too. We just love to hear how it went for you. Um, but this week, we want to talk about a different practice, and that is the practice of simplicity. In a chapter um, titled Simplicity in the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Homer um, talks about many different definitions and many different ways to practice counter to uh, ways to practice simplicity as Christ followers. I was particularly drawn to uh, the definition by pastor and author Joshua Becker that he used. It's he called simplicity the intentional promotion of the things we value and the removal of everything that distracts us from them. In our busy and hurried lives, we accumulate distractions. And so simplicity is a practice to redirect us, to redirect us away from cluttered closets and cluttered schedules, away from more so that we might experience what Jesus has done for us. And so the text we're going to look at today is in the Gospel of Luke chapter 12. would encourage you to find it um, in your pew Bibles, in your own Bibles, on your phones, whatever you're looking at Scripture so that we can follow God's Word together. We're in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, Who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, watch out, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance 
of possessions. Pause right there. So Jesus had been teaching his disciples. A crowd had gathered around and a man interrupts and asks Jesus to tell his brother to divide the inheritance fairly with him. Now, this was not an uncommon occurrence. It was quite common for a rabbi in their culture to make uh, legal decisions on behalf of family disputes such as this. One scholar likened it to a scene from the people's court. Um, but the mistake... The mistake this man makes is not asking Jesus to arbitrate this decision. The mistake he makes is assuming that the answer is always more. In the infamous quote by John D. Rockefeller, he was asked, what is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. So this man in the story, he believes that Jesus just inherently agrees with him that the answer is more. But here's what Jesus says instead. Life does not consist in more. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And Jesus did this thing sometimes where he said, you have heard it said, but I say to you. So I would say, you have heard it said, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions, but I say to you, life is not found in the busyness by which we accumulate an abundance of possessions. And to make this point, Jesus goes on to tell a story to show that our souls aren't just being shaped, shaped by having more. Our souls are being shaped by the relentless pursuit of accumulating more. And Jesus goes on to tell this story in verse 16. He says, he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. So let's stop there. I did something this past week, which I've done hundreds, if not thousands of times in my life. And that is, I was in a great rush to send an email. I wrote the email. I said, I've copied so-and-so on this email. And then I hit send. And what didn't I do? I didn't copy so-and-so on that email. I've done it so many times, right? When we rush, we miss things. When we're so busy, we tend to overlook things, right? And the man in the parable is so busy rushing to get more. He's so busy rushing to accumulate because he thinks his future will be found in his ability to get more, to keep more, that he misses what God is doing in the present. And when we're constantly rushing to fill up our closets and our calendars and our Target mobile baskets because we think that more is the way to the best life possible or the best future, we might miss something in the present, something that's vital to a healthy relationship with God. And here's how you know this guy's in trouble. Jesus calls him a fool. And here's how you really know he's in trouble. He talked to himself. Now, some of you do talk to yourself. I, I may have been guilty of that uh, once in a while. But in general, 
we don't tend to like think, oh, there's somebody talking to themselves. Let's, let's be like that person, right? Like that's not generally how we view people who talk to themselves. Exactly the same way in their culture. It was, uh, it was expected in ancient Israel as many tribal societies that when you made big decisions, you would consult others. You'd gather wise people. You'd have a conversation. What should I do about this problem? But instead, he doesn't talk to God. He doesn't talk to others. He talks to himself. And therefore, he makes a decision that disregards God and disregards others. He builds a bigger barn that takes up more land. And now that land cannot be used to be productive for anyone else. It only benefits him. There's no thought of sharing. There's no thought of being blessed to be a blessing. There's no thought of stewardship. You see, hurry, when we rush through life, it causes us to focus on ourselves. And when we focus on ourselves, we neglect others or we tend to just see others as cogs in our busyness machines. But we claim to worship a God who calls us to humility who calls us to put others before ourselves, who calls us to love him and to love our neighbors first. And when we rush to secure our future by more accumulation, we're we're missing God's call to love others in the present. The haunting question of this parable is, what if we're spending our present investing in the wrong future? What if we're spending our present investing in the wrong future? A fourth century bishop and church father Ambrose once said, the things we cannot take away with us are not even ours. You see, hurry is incredibly compatible with a rich life. But hurry is completely incompatible with a life rich towards God. It's compatible towards a rich life, but incompatible with being rich towards God because hurry keeps us chasing a future which God tells us will never satisfy us. You see, the lie, the lie the man in this parable believes is that if I, if I go, 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 if I get more, more, more now, then in the future, things will be set. But we know that's a lie. Because you cannot practice more, more, more now and just stop someday because the practice of more, more, more shapes our souls to believe that we are meant for more, more, more. It's a lie to believe that we can live this way now and step off the hamster wheel someday in the future because our souls are being shaped to trust in ourselves rather than to trust in Jesus? What if there was a different way to live other than hurry? What if there was a different way to live other than more, more, more? What if we learn to practice simplicity together? What if the way isn't in more, but in less? We've cluttered the path to a life with Christ with busy schedules and a lot of stuff and accomplishments. And simplicity is meant to set us straight. Simplicity means that we live as if Jesus has everything we need. And Jesus has everything we need and he freely gives. He freely gives so that we can trust that one more thing or just a little bit more is not actually ever the way to a good life. And look, God is not anti-stuff. 
In fact, uh, the cultural mandate to create and to make is, is an activity blessed by God over and over in Scripture. God is anti us finding our identity in stuff and more and accumulation. Writer Richard Foster said that simplicity is an inward reality seen in an outward lifestyle. Practicing simplicity is meant to teach our souls to be truly satisfied in Christ. We need practices that reorient us from the hurry that keeps us filling our closets and our schedules. We need practices that reorient us towards a worthwhile identity found in Jesus. Simplicity is meant to help us remove the obstacles to fully relying upon Christ. And I loved in the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. If this is your first time with us, we have some copies out in the great room for you to grab on the way out. It's an, it's an awesome book. Um, and in his chapter on simplicity, uh, John Mark Comer lists 12 different practices for simplifying your life. Um, I just wanted to highlight a few that I found particularly meaningful um, and, and talk about them quickly. Uh, number three on the list was to never impulse buy. Um, I would guess 80% of what I buy is considered an impulse buy. Um, so I literally may not be buying anything if I practice this, which is fine. Uh, number five was when you can share. And I think about snowblowers. Does everyone need a snowblower or just can you, can your neighbor have one and you use it? And I mean, what is the, what is the, the line where we all need everything ourselves versus we get to practice, we get to practice relying on our neighbors and sharing together and not needing to have more for ourselves. Number six, get in the habit of giving things away and experience the joy that Scripture tells us comes from generosity. It's what Carrie was talking about just a little bit ago. When we give stuff away, it forms us to believe that we don't need it. Number 10, cultivate a deep appreciation for the simple pleasures. And like what a profound thought that, that we constantly put our put our, um, our expectation of pleasure in that next thing we acquire, that next purchase, that more stuff or that next thing we'll do. And what we know is it just never satisfies like it promises that it will. What if we learn instead to find pleasure in the simple things of life and in what we already have? And look, <laughs> this whole book has been really convicting for me, um, but this chapter in particular was convicting for me. And um, I, I personally will sometimes, you know, like I'll go into my closet and I'll see something and it's not even that I haven't worn it in a while. I forgot that I had it. And I was reading in this chapter in the book and John Mark Comer talks about how he decided to scale back the amount of clothes he wore. So he went from having, you know, this massive wardrobe to just a Monday outfit, a Tuesday outfit, a Wednesday outfit. And then he went to just wearing alternating outfits every other day. And what he said was, no one even noticed, which, which just kind of broke my heart a little bit, to be honest. I'm like, <laughs> no one even notices what I wear? <laughs> so we want to challenge you. We want to challenge you over the coming week, as we've been doing every week in this series. Um, and we've been giving out these little bookmarks that has the challenge for each week. If you don't have one of those, grab it when you leave. But your challenge this week is to identify a space, a closet, a garage, a junk drawer, and clean it out. Clean it out. 
Decide what needs to go. Decide what you can give away. I mean, who can you bless with your stuff? Often it's just sitting there for days, weeks, months, years. We don't even use it. Who can we bless with it? And I would encourage you to pray over it. Pray over that closet. Pray over that garage. Let God's will be done in our relationship with stuff, right? Pray over it. The goal The goal isn't just to simplify your life, right? You could read any number of books on minimalism or or simplicity, any number of self-help books on how to get a simpler life. The goal for us is that you would learn to be present to Jesus without distractions and without the constant temptation of more, more, more. Because hurry keeps us reaching for the next thing, but the way that we engage with accumulation of stuff and with accomplishment in our lives should train our souls that Jesus is enough. We need simplicity because the next thing we're chasing seems to always be one step away. We're always lunging for that next thing and simplicity makes us pause and trains us to believe that we don't need it because Jesus has given us all that we need. Gosh, I feel like I have so much stuff that I get distracted from what really matters, right? And I need to be reminded that the good news is that you are free to seek what matters most because Jesus sets you free from reliance upon accumulation and accomplishment. We will be content with less when we are satisfied with what we have. And I don't just mean stuff when we're satisfied with what Jesus has done for us, when we're satisfied with who we are in Christ, when we're satisfied with the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, then we will be content when we're satisfied with the blessings that God has given us. I love just a few verses later in our text in Luke, Jesus tells his followers, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father Your father, God, your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Don't fear, little flock. God has given you everything that you need. Um, Every every year as Easter rolls around, the 40 days before Easter is known as Lent on the Christian calendar. And and many of you know that different traditions, um, I think it originated as a Catholic tradition, but people will give up things for the Lenten season for those 40 days. They will abstain from from chocolate or coffee or alcohol or something they'll give up. And um, for years, I would often give up the same thing uh, that time of year. And it was normally something dietary related, right? And it was sort of this like, um, it was like a bonus, right? I could give up dessert for 40 days and I might also lose weight, right? So a very selfish use of Lent. Um, and then last year, a longtime friend challenged me to pick something that I actually needed uh, to give up. And so the thing that uh, I did was for 40 days, I didn't make any um, consumer purchases, like I didn't buy anything that I didn't absolutely need, like food. Like I didn't buy, I didn't buy shoes or clothes or tools or anything for around the house. Um, I worked that in there, so you think I might use tools every once in a while, but that's a, another conversation. Um, <laughs> but for 40 days, I didn't buy any consumer goods, and it was one of the hardest 40-day stretches I could ever imagine. Right? Like it's just it sounds ridiculous to say out loud. But what I learned was how much I self-soothe and self-medicate by buying something. 
And I learned that I was relying upon purchasing stuff as, a, as like an escape from a hard day, a hard week, um, to make myself feel better, um, finding my identity in that next purchase, and that next thing, realizing that it had power over me that I'd never intended for it to have. When we practice simplicity, the point is to own that there are things in our lives other than Christ that have power over us. And we're learning to give those things back to God so that only Christ has power over us, so that we only have our identity and find ourselves trusting and relying upon Jesus and nothing else. And when we do that, Individually and together, we'll practice a way of life that puts Christ on display for the world. A different life than the life of busyness, a different life than the life of more, 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 a life that Christ has come and he is real and he's died for us and it is enough and it's changed everything. Let's be those kind of people, not a hurried people, but a Jesus people. I'm gonna invite the band to come back up. They're gonna lead us in a closing song. And as we sing together, I just want you to imagine in your own hearts what it means for you to be relying upon Jesus, letting go of everything else, trusting in nothing else, trusting in Christ alone.